Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. All right, here we go. Primetime Titans. It's JG here. And Robert. And uh, we also, we, we have a recurring guest on, actually. Uh, he was the original OnlyFans guest that we had last year, Michael Brown, cousins with Robert. Um, Pettit is not with us tonight. It's just the three of us. But unless you've been living under a rock, there is quite some news about the Titans. And uh, who knew this was going to happen? I think some people said they probably knew with all the rumors going around recently, but the Titans have fired Mike Vrabel. Uh, and I, I, I will give my thoughts later, uh, but wow, we're going to talk about it. Um, we absolutely wanted to talk about it with how big it is. Uh, did we want to talk about how atrocious the team was throughout the year? Not really. We didn't. And so uh, we're here now, and we're talking about the Titans and Mike Vrabel. Uh, I'm going to hand it off to Robert because we're going to kind of go about this uh, in a you know in a certain way. Robert's going to explain, but um, let's just say we might have some disagreements on the decision. But Robert, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Thanks, Jeech. So as John Garrett said, uh, really excited about this podcast. We got Michael on, who is probably one of, if not the most elated Titans fan regarding this news. Um, and we have JG, who may be the most devastated Titans fan regarding this news. So <laughs> we're going to set this up as a little bit of a debate. Um, JG and Michael are going to give their thoughts, sort of an opening statement, if you will. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth. And, um, and yeah, we'll just go from there. So JG, as the, uh, the resident podcast host, we're going to give you the nod to just lay it all out there, man. Spill out your guts. What are you feeling? What's, what's it been like the last six hours? Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, the news was broken to me by a coworker. I had just gotten back to eat lunch from Chipotle Really looking forward to my Chipotle bowl. It was a good-looking bowl, and I was excited about it. I had it all ready to just chow down on, and someone, my coworker, just came up to me and broke the news, and I immediately was furious. Um, I had said to a few people before, uh, I don't know if I ever said it on the podcast, but what I said was if we were to trade Rabel, get some draft picks potentially, and replace him with an offensive-minded guy, I could maybe be convinced that it was okay. But I think that was in the moment just like me trying to cope with the potential rumors of the whole Patriots thing and him maybe being the perfect fit for the Patriots to replace Bill Belichick. And then the moment that I found out that he actually was fired and there was no trade that happened, I mean, I was livid. When you – okay – I realize that we have been bad the last couple of years and 
to me, I don't put all of that on Mike Vrabel. I think there's some of that to, to Mike Vrabel. He obviously had his struggles with his stubbornness, with him wanting his way, with potentially the power struggle that has been rumored about with him and Rand Carthon. But at the end of the day, this guy was a proven NFL head coach. And for you to just wish something like that away and want that to be gone and just let him go and fire him because potentially a trade would be too tough to do and get in the works and you want to figure out a replacement now instead of waiting to fire him and try to work on a trade. It just, it really, it pisses me off. It really pisses me off and I'm not happy about it. And it's almost like you're, you know, that something can work and you just, it, it needs to take time to rebuild and get a roster to a better spot. I mean, our draft picks were atrocious the last few years and you can't just, I realized maybe some of that would have been personnel Rabel and his stubbornness, but he still is a proven NFL head coach and someone is going to jump on him so quick. And for that to happen. That is like, that's the number one thing. To, everyone is laughing at us right now. People are laughing at us that we are firing Mike Vrabel, who is a proven NFL head coach. I realized that since the AFC Championship run, we haven't run won a playoff game. I get that. Whatever. I cannot believe we did this. I just, I am furious at the organization. I think our organization, I've come, to, I've just lost faith. Lost faith in the organization. Amy Adams Strunk, you're going to have a planned video with Mike Keith and then send your pawn, Rand Carthon, out to face the noise in the press and it be a jumble of questions and him just dodge questions? Are you kidding me? Amy Adams Strunk, you made the decision. You sit in front of everyone with Rand Carthon next to, next to you and you answer those questions. You face the noise. Don't be a little baby and hide behind all the – like, are you kidding me? We get a planned – interview with the voice of the titans mike keith with it being edited and clipped to where we probably there were things said that they probably like oh take that out we don't want that that is it's just it's i i don't like it i don't like that from the organization i don't like it from amy adam strunk and to be frank to wrap it up with my opening argument of how pissed i am at the end of the day with the struggles that mike Vrabel had and with everything that, yes, you can argue all you want about him not being a good NFL head coach, he was a proven NFL head coach. A coach like Vrabel does not win that Dolphins game, does not come back and win that game. A coach like Vrabel, we've had Patrick Mahomes, players like Patrick Mahomes, talk about how Vrabel coach teams are the worst to play against. We've lost that because we've lost it, and I'm now pissed even more because I have no confidence in replacing someone Who's going to be better than that? That's at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. I don't think we're going to hit on the next coach. It's going to be like, if we do, I will eat crow and this works out great. That's obviously what I want for the Titans organization. But right now I'm pissed because I don't have faith in the organization to do that and replace Mike Vrabel with someone who's going to be better. And I'm scared that we're going to be sitting on our couch on a Sunday and we're going to see an afternoon game with a Mike Vrabel led coach team. Who's going to look great. And we're going to be doing the same thing we did with AJ Brown, where we're regretting this and we're not happy with it. And that's what I have to say about it. I'm pissed. And I I just, I, I, maybe I'm just like, I don't even know if I want to look for good things to come with it because I'm so mad. So that's where I am. That's, that's how I feel. And yeah. Yeah. So that's where I am, Michael. I'll well, let you. I think that I think that yeah. definitely 
would would speak for how a lot of people in the fan base feel. Um, but I want to go to Michael now. What what were your initial thoughts when you heard the news? Where were you, and where where's your head at now, Michael? I just want to start by saying I am absolutely elated. I've been calling for this for over two years now to anybody that would listen to me. I came on your show last year and spit a lot of hot takes, was just spouting hot takes. And I think what's interesting about this is pro sports in general has replaced soap operas. And in the Internet age, pro sports has become so much more rumor gossip based that trying to keep up with the whole thing is fascinating. And if you want it to be your hobby, you can spend your entire life digging down to the sub subplots of it. But ultimately for as much as I did not want Mike Vrabel leading the Titans anymore, I'm so relieved that we finally have stood by what Amy came out and said with all of the other firings and, and basically saying that we are committed to winning because we're not going to sit here and dive deeper into a spiral and watching us go in the opposite direction. Um, there's so many things in the way that this went down that recency is recency bias is definitely like probably feeding into a lot of us. But I don't know if you guys remember when jo John Robinson was fired, Amy trotted Vrabel out there in one of the most awkward press conferences that ever happened. She's the one that fired J-Rob. She's the one that made the decisions and Vrabel was out there dodging questions left and right. It was the exact same press conference, but the table was flipped. Um, regarding specifically Mike Vrabel and why I was so anti, I even came on your show last year and I said, Mike Vrabel, 100%, is a, an amazing motivational coach. He gets the most out of his players. He's a player's coach. They, they are all aligned with him. He probably plays favorites too much, which leads to this over-hyping of certain players from him. And then the other players, we've no notably had, um, I think it's a total of eight players that have left the organization over the last three years and are burning, the, burning it on the way out. And you have somebody like Robert Woods, who's a consummate pro, uh, tweeting, I'm free when he gets released by the Titans. It's clear that it's not all this one-sided, you know, uh, Taylor Lewan is one of his favorites. Is it's, it's, not, it's not just these favorites saying that, you know, Mike Vrabel's a great coach. There's clearly a, a yin and a yang going on here and, and a balance. But specifically for me, recognizing and saying that he is a motivational coach, even if I go back to the last episode that I that I did with y'all, um, he has a real problem of thinking he's the smartest guy in the room. And because of that, his hires are absolutely atrocious. And what I would say to anybody that's really upset over saying they fired Mike Vrabel, no, they didn't just fire Mike Vrabel. They fired his decision to keep Craig Ackerman, the special teams coach that got our probably our MVP punter injured and knocked out for the year. They fired a first year offensive coordinator in Tim Kelly. They fired a first year tight ends coach in Tony Dews. They fired a first year offensive line coach in J Jason. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but I'll say Hodling. Maybe. Um, they fired a first-year pass game coordinator in Charles London. They fired a first-year run game coordinator in Justin Alton. If you are a coach who was forced to fire your offensive coordinator and your offensive line in the offseason, don't you think you would have done a little bit due diligence and not have three-quarters of your staff be first-year people that aren't qualified to actually be doing the position that they are hired to do? 
I would say that is pure negligence and it's pure arrogance and that arrogance bottom. And I think when you go back to Amy's video, she made such a point to say that the next head coach candidate has to present their full plan for the staff. And she made it several times that the staff was just as important as the head coach. And I think Clearly, that's one of the main reasons that Vrabel probably is is gone to the day is because if I had to guess, Amy gave him the same ultimatum that she gave Mark Malarkey. Change your staff or you're gone. And he chose to not change his staff. So he's gone. So when you take a look into everything that's going in, while it seems a little bit drastic, I, I actually I commend Amy on doing this actually at the appropriate time, which is the end of the season. Um, the thing that upset me about the John Robinson firing um, last year was that she did it midway into the season. And I think that basically just signaled that we were done and we didn't win a game after that. Um, but I think that that was the appropriate time. And I think the appropriate time probably was internally to, if you, even if you wanted to fire John Robinson and, and a heated uh, display after getting owned by AJ Brown, I think, it still would have been at the end of the season to do it properly and do it as a, as a business thing. But I got to commend her. She's as, as somebody that's running a business, she's doesn't seem to take any time making a decision and has no fear in doing it and doesn't really care about the outside noise. She's, she's taking a look at what she is seeing inside of her business and, and making the decisions. And I think if, and we can go into so many layers of the rumors of what was going on between J Rob and Vrabel, then Carthon and Vrabel and how Carthon and even got hired into the Titans. Regardless, if you're the person and it's your team and you have a billion dollar business and you're watching people act like children and one of the people that are acting like children is the only constant, then to fix that, no matter what, you got to get rid of the, the the constant variable there, and think that's ultimately led to, uh, to where we are today. Yeah, and uh, one of the things, real quick, Robert, yeah, Michael, one of the things, uh, I just want to clarify your hot take from last year, from the episode, because some people may not uh, have listened to it, but uh, it was. I, I remember you said, uh, with unless there's a big philosophy change by Mike Vrabel we won't make it past the AFC championship. Wasn't that it? Yeah. 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 I, and you know, and at the time I was trying to hold my reservation, but I should have said never make the playoffs, but that well, was, that went into extreme. Well, cause, <laughs> and, and I remember that we had fired Todd Downing at that point. We hadn't hired the new offensive coordinator. And the question, one of the questions was like, will the new offensive coordinator potentially like you were basically hoping that the new offensive coordinator would change his philosophy. And I guess Tim Kelly, you probably didn't feel like it did. That's, and I think the hard thing is the, the offense that we tried to operate out of game one, this season is not the offense that we ended up running throughout the entire yeah. season. Cool. Cause we didn't uh, have the personnel for that offense. Yeah. And I was wrong in thinking that Tannehill could have been the guy to operate that kind of modern offense. Clearly he wasn't. And no. It's so interesting now. I almost wish we had done this two years ago so that we had the progression of three episodes here. It's so interesting to see now with the gift of hindsight, a lot of the things that we're like, we're trying to predict and trying to um, guess as to what's going to happen. 
But after listening to that episode, I got to say, I, I was pretty happy with myself, <laughs> at least my, at least my going back to last year, you know, my virtual GM um, takes would have been better than what they did this year. And I think a lot of the things that were, were going on behind the scenes was a power struggle, you know, a Game of Thrones. And, you know, it's ended up how it did. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask both of you this question. I'm going to start with JG. Um, but the question is, how would you define Vrabel's six years as the Titans head coach? When you look at the totality of the six years getting hired, you know, was it the 2018 or 2017 offseason right after Malarkey? Um, and, you know, we went to the playoffs a couple years, went to the AFC championship game. Then obviously these last two years after pretty much going all in in 2021 with some of the moves J-Rob made, um, and then, you know, obviously taking into account Vrabel getting a lot of control over the roster and personnel decisions the last couple of years. How would you evaluate when it's all said and done? How are we going to remember Mike Vrabel in these six seasons as Titans head coach, JG? Uh, I'm going to say, uh, and it definitely uh, is not similar to what Michael is probably going to say, but... I think with how pissed I am right now and it, it it's something like what I'm about to say could be wrong for sure. We could look back and this was the right move, but what I'm going to say is I'm going to define the last six years as something. When we look back, it's something that we're going to miss because I think that it, it's something that we're going to miss. And like Vrabel to me, Vrabel's going to go somewhere else and do really well. Like, I really, I just think that that's going to happen. I think that there were certain things that happened with the roster that, like, I mean, let's just face it. He came from a Belichick-style stubbornness and arrogance, uh, if you want to call it that, where um, if Belichick didn't have Tom Brady all those years, like, we don't know what Belichick would have been as a coach because of the whole stubbornness. Like, you in the teaser for their dynasty Apple TV thing today, Danny Amendola said we worked for Bill, but we played for Tom. Like if we had had, I, don't, I just think like quarterbacks can, can define coaches in this league. Like someone like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I'm not going to get super far into that one, but I basically am just trying to say that it's going to be something that we are going to miss. So because you enjoy, you, overall, you enjoyed the last six years. You thought it was a massive positive. Yes, because at the end of the day, I could, like, no matter if, you know, I had to stomach the A.J. Brown trade, I had to, um, you know, go through just different things uh, that maybe would have gone wrong, like losing to the Jaguars and losing to the division last year you know, losing seven straight. There were just things that happened where it was like, okay, well, at the end of the day, I am still confident that Mike Vrabel is our head coach because I think that he is able to coach this team and any game is winnable. Like, And to your credit, he overcame a lot. I mean, he was 2021 coach of the year when we had the most injuries in the NFL. So there were a lot of positives. Yeah, and yeah, there have been coach coaches of the year that have, you know, Matt Nagy won coach of the year. Uh uh, there are some others that have won coach Enough of the said. year that maybe are not, maybe you're not like Dan Quinn. I think won coach of the year, maybe when the Falcons went 14 and 15 and one 14 and two or something yeah. I, like, 
I get both that. Both of them were fired on the same timeline that Mike Rabel was, by the way. Yes. So I Two, get that. Like Years after winning Coach of the Year, fired. <laughs> so I get that they're like, like I said, Rabel had his struggles and he was stubborn. He wanted the power. And we ultimately have made this move. And like he, he had things wrong. He wasn't perfect. But at the end of the day, we're going to look back and these six years, we're going to miss it because we thought we had to move on and make this decision when I thought, I just like, I just wanted another year or two from him with the Titans. I didn't want us to make any move right now. So we're going to miss it. Sorry. All right, same my, question to you, Michael. Answer. How would you define these six years as a Titans fan under Mike Vrabel? Swing and a miss. Uh, there's a couple of things that you brought up that, that I'm going to try to, to, to work in here. Um, really quickly, so much of Mike Vrabel is tied into this whole Patriots way thing that we had fantasized. And you touched upon it, that it's becoming very clear that it wasn't Bill. It was Brady. Let's let's just before Mike Vrabel, let's just go through the the uh, the, the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Romeo Cornell, horrible. Eric Mangini, horrible. Josh McDaniels, horrible. Bill O'Brien, eh, but he's right now offensive coordinator for the Pats, horrible. Matt Patricia, horrible. Brian Flores, probably got a little bit of a raw deal, still has a losing record as a head coach. Joe Judge, horrible. Brian Dable, currently looking like he's about to be in the outs in terms of the Giants. And then we get to Mike Vrabel. Let's go back and really analyze the circumstances, the rare circumstances of how Mike Vrabel came to the Titans. It is incredibly rare to have a head coach come in off of a team that won a playoff game. It's extremely rare circumstances. And I'm going to list four of the top head coaches that, that meet the same criteria and I should, I did a, I, I capped it at 35 minutes of trying to do the research. These are the only four coaches that I could come up with that followed under the same criteria. Barry Switzer took over the Cowboys after Jimmy Johnson won a Super Bowl. Mike Didka took over the Bears, won two Super Bowls. John Gruden took over the Tampa Bay Bucks uh, from Tony Dungy, won Super Bowl. Tony Dungy then went to the Colts with Peyton Manning. Guess what? Won a Super Bowl. So this when you're looking after at the going to playoffs the year before, right? Yeah, after okay. uh, after being a winning football team and inheriting basically a winning football team, because normally a head coach hire, like we're currently in the situation that we're going to see, normally mm-hmm. a head coach hire and even GM hires are done in disarray. It's coming off I of see. disappointment. It's so rare. It's so rare for a, a head coach to have the opportunity to already have a winning roster and a winning culture and a winning team in place. And I think. Part of the national narrative and part of the media wants to focus and say he's the one that changed the culture. Mike Vrabel did not change the culture. Mike Malarkey was the interim coach from a three-win Ken Wesenhunt. He took over. We won a couple of those games, and then he went nine and seven the next season, and we won a playoff game with Mariota. Mike Malarkey is the person that changed the culture. You cannot say Mike Vrabel changed the culture because we came off of a playoff winning season. And what Amy did when she got up there and she introduced Mike Vrabel is says, we're trying to go from good to great. We want to be a championship team. Mike Vrabel took the biggest swing and when j-rob lined him up with a top three offensive line lined him up with a generational running back that was going to hit his prime and do things that no running back has done before we had a now a playmaking wide receiver in aj brown and we had a perfect quarterback to run our team what did this coaching staff do they swung and they missed 
So I'm going to say overall in the moment of 2019 and 2020 and 2021, yes, I was caught up into it. And yes, I was convinced that we were finally going to get over the hump. Now with the gift of hindsight, I look back and we never had a chance. We didn't play a style of football under Mike Vrabel that would facilitate winning. I don't think it was possible for this team to ever get back to the roster status in terms of talent that we had in those years. We would basically forever be trying to climb the hill, and we already fell into it for these past two years of the excuse of, we just need this player to be good. No, we just need this player to be good. No, we need somebody that could put our players in the position to succeed. And part of the thing that you look over in terms of the deficiencies in the staff and a lot of these hires is arguably outside of AJ Brown and defensive linemen and um, really, okay. So it's defensive linemen and and AJ Brown. Who else did the Titans, who else did Vrabel staff develop? Is there any player that you can look to to say that they actually developed. David Long, Monty Hooker. I love that you bring up David Long. I love that you bring up David Long. I fell right into his trap. I know because Mike Rabel ran the guy out of town. He ran the guy out of town, calling him out in the season-end press conference. And what does David Long do? He goes to the Dolphins. He stays healthy. He becomes the number one run-stopping linebacker. I don't understand it. He's a leader on that defense. The problem is Vrabel's arrogance in that smartest guy in the room. He can't tolerate having anybody that isn't his guy around. And what that does is that leads to deficiencies in your talent. Because if you are so slighted that a player that has to, the, that is playing has to be your boy, I'm sorry. That's, it, this is, there's just no situation where you're going to have, you know, what, 53 active players, however many coaches, however many people in the play. Like you're talking about 120 people probably in the total of that building and they can't all be we're human beings you can't all be perfectly aligned unless you get exactly what Vrabel wants and everybody to view him as a god and you know and fill into his arrogance all right jg i have a question for you specifically you said we're gonna miss it the last six years what is the number one thing you specifically are gonna miss about mike Vrabel being at the helm that you don't think any other coach or uh, play caller is going to deliver. I think it just it goes to like the combination of him. I I realize I'm going to say players coach because and Michael, you even said great motivational guy, players coach guy. Like yes, and it, David Long is an example of maybe someone that fell off from that players coach type thing because of him calling him out for being you know a repeat offender, which. Like Vrabel said, factually was a repeat offender. He kept hurting his hamstring. I think the injuries go deeper than Vrabel chewing these guys out. Fire the hamstring guy. Still, I still stand behind <laughs> that. Something is wrong with our our staff. I don't know. But can you also say that Carthon brought it up a couple times in the pressers? But just want to add a note for listeners that weren't aware of this. Third consecutive season in a row, Titans have the most injuries in the NFL, played the yeah. most number of players. Third season in a row. We sat here last year saying that was an unforgivable thing and it had to be fixed. So yep. that's I true. mean, if, if it's if it's Vrabel's practice style, then maybe that's something that's gonna change and gonna be good. If that's the case, 
then cool. But what I'm going to miss is basically like the fact that no matter what kind of team is showing up on a Sunday, the other team that we're playing is going to know that it's a Vrabel coach team. And they're like, I mean, if honestly, they're going to be shaking in their boots about us. I, I realize that the roster is not that great. And I think like the Dolphins, the Dolphins learned that the hard way. We ended up coming back and we beat them. Like, I just think that that's what I'm going to miss so much is that Vrabel coach teams, although it was a dark time this year where we didn't know if if a team was going to show up, there were definitely players that were kind of out of it. But we were a team that was motivated, like we've said, a players coach type, and and like it just, I just don't think that when you make a decision and everyone else outside looking in says that we're stupid for doing it, we're just going to become the laughing stock of an organization like we are. And I hate saying that and admitting that. But right now, we're looking like that. So, if anything, prove me wrong. But I'm going to miss that, that there was a certain level of respect that we had with Brable coached teams. I think it's a, a good point. I mean, you could bank on one or two games a year of Rabel being a big-time underdog and figuring out a way to win. You could point to the Chiefs, you know, shellacking at home when we beat them 27-3. to The Rams game after Derrick Henry got hurt, we went in there and – Simmons was a monster, and Byard had to pick six. Um, it's a good point. You knew they were always going to show up, no matter how beat up they were. Um, but Michael, I actually have a different question for you. What Hold is on. the before? before ahead, can I ahead. just give a counter counter to that thought, Robert? Sure. Can we can we really analyze all of those games, and with the asterisk that they're all regular season games? Let's look at the Rams game. Well, they're the only data points we have. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, look at the Patriots and Ravens games that we won. In the playoffs. Actually, sure. yeah, those were great examples of that. That's not a terrible point, although those games, Henry went absolutely mad crazy. Oh, so because he went but absolutely we off, it doesn't count. We but did the, shut the, down Lamar. Make, we did shut down the MVP of the league that nobody else had managed to do And then the next year we did that. We did that, and we forced the Ravens to change their offensive uh, – uh, uh, not philosophy, but they've they've changed their system since that Since that I will time. say, too, I will say, too, the Dolphins – what has happened ever since losing us? Their offense has not looked as dominant. Just saying. It's, I think there are certain Vrabel, – Vrabel had a good eye for like what you would need to do to stop them. Like the Chiefs a couple years ago when we, we beat them bad. We put on, t- on film, on tape, how you had to beat certain teams defensively. But I know there were other times – it's just – it's weird because there were also games – where we went out and we looked like crap and we lose a game we're not supposed to lose. So it, well, there is frustration there. This goes back to the point that I'm trying to make regarding that Rams win, the Chiefs win, all these games that we keep going back to. And it, and it was even further in display in this Dolphins game of where we say we stole a game. We got a game. A it was in the regular season. This is why this works in the regular season. We came out with the game plan just to physically beat the other team in every single one of those games. And we came out in that Dolphins games and we got two key injuries against them. And we were just laying the wood against them. It's a regular season game against teams that are winning teams. Eventually, I think the mindset's going to set in. If these guys are going to come out and they're going to rough us up, we're not going to care if we lose this game. We are just not going to get more injuries. And where that 
where that game plan does not work is when you get into the playoffs and a team has everything to play for. It's just not going to that that high floor, low ceiling, you know, we're just going to beat you up. Just doesn't work when you get to that upper echelon of teams with something really to play for. JG, I'll let you respond before I ask Michael his question. I mean, I don't really have a response. I mean, like, I just I just think those kinds of things like. I don't know. I, I just, I've been in not arguments slash debates before where I just, I just think that's a lazy, like I, I get the, the playoff point, but just sitting, just being like, ah, well, you know, it's a regular season game. So we're good from here on out. You don't think the dolphins actually were trying to win that game. That game ended up preventing them from winning the AFC East. Like they absolutely were going to still try and win that game. It's not like, I mean, we came back at the end of the game and ended well, up I mean, winning. Let's let's just say that, in my opinion, the Dolphins did win the game. It just and, and what we know from you know the the rumors of it, Mike Vrabel did not win that game for the Titans. Will Levis went off script and was calling his own plays and won that game. So how I do think, you what? How do you know my? How do you know Will Levis was going off script and calling his own plays? Because Mike Pre- Mike Vrabel and the presser said he went off script. Uh, but like actually calling his own plays or well, like. He's, or, he, that's pretty impressive that's pretty for a rookie to be calling his own plays. I will say that. He I mean, he definitely was doing uh, like off script in terms of you know, like the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown ended up scrambling and, and finding him on that. But I, I it just I don't I, I have no idea if he's calling his own plays. But I do know that Mike Vrabel, when they asked about it, he looked surprised that they won the game, and he he said Levis went off script on those last two drives. So right, yeah, and I on. just like. Yeah. Okay. One one quick comment. We, we got to move on, JJ. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh Mike, no, no no no. You're good. Yeah. Move on. We're good. All right. What is so? I asked JG. What is the thing you're going to miss the most? What is the number one thing, Michael, that you are excited that no longer will hang potentially hang hang over this team? Whether it's a position group might get fixed, a philosophy might change, uh, personnel decisions are more streamlined. What's the the number one thing that you think, because Rabel's not here, now this has a. I think this is going to be fixed. Uh, understanding we have no idea who the head coach is going to be, right, and who his what his staff's going to look like, but hopefully that's a clear question. I have to hope, and and yes, it depends who the head coach and the staff is that they hire. I hope have to hope that we finally have NFL quality positional coaches uh, on our on our team and that we can actually start developing players again. I don't so it's about, it's about who it's about the position coaches around the head coach for you. Yeah. It's about the position coaches. And I think it's specifically about putting people in that are talented enough to know that they can progress and go elsewhere. I just, I, I, am so, I was so sick and tired of seeing essentially yes, men being hired that were underqualified. And then, you know, two years in a row, uh, with the offensive line being the way that it is and looking and saying this, there's our current offensive line coach has no business being a coach in the NFL. I mean, I look, I look across the, this offensive staff for this year and it's so mismanaged. It's absolutely wild to me. The guy I liked who, Charles London. I thought Charles London was a good one. It, you know, and it, it, he could be fine. It's hard for me to say that Levis made progress. I can't say that he made progress. I can't say that Tannehill made progress. Um, I can't really look at the quarterbacks at any point and say that the trajectory went up in each game. I think Will Levis started at the top and just kind of 
porpoised his way down. And I think Tannehill just was Tannehill. So I can't, I can't properly say without knowing anything else about Charles London specifically. So Michael, does that go deeper? I feel like that even goes deeper to the, like, honestly, if I were to answer that question, Robert, the number one thing for me would be his stubbornness. Uh, and I think that goes deeper to, or his stubbornness is essentially the foundation of what you're saying, Michael, in terms of the position coaches, like Ackerman had no business being the special teams coordinator as long as he was. Uh, I'll admit that. Like we finally fired him. I can't believe we fired him because he was with Rabel forever and our special team struggled for a while and we probably should have fired him sooner. So, and I, and I think like, the Shane Bowen defensive coordinator hire. I hated that at the time, ultimately ended up doing, you know, being good and, and being fine. But I think ultimately that, that, uh, that defense coordinator hire was just because Rabel could end up being in charge of the defense as well with Shane Bowen. Like I just, I don't know. I, I, I think the stubbornness is the biggest thing that I would say is some, we wouldn't have to deal with anymore, but still like, I just still, like that doesn't change my feeling of being pissed off that we fired him. If that makes sense. Like, all right. So I want to read. Um, this is this is from one hundred four five the zone, and uh, Michael actually made me aware of this. And so I want to read this to y'all to sort of dive into the Rand Carthon versus Mike Vrabel battle that we've been hearing about has been going on for the last year. And so I'm going to read this and then get and get both of y'all's reaction because uh, I kind of want to hear you know what y'all thought. What what have what have y'all's uh, I guess uh, understanding? How is your understanding developed? Just reading the tea leaves. Um, so here's the quote from 104.5 that Vrabel ultimately had the final say on the roster this year, not Carthon. Vrabel won the first round pick battle and got his guy Skaronski, while Carthon wanted Zay Flowers in the first round. Malik Willis was Vrabel's choice for QB. Carthon got to make the Levis trade and probably saved the franchise with the pick thoughts i'll go to you first jg where's this coming what is this what what is, is this, the source of this one of this live on the air. today what'd you say it's live on the air today piece well, together who, who said these it are all, these are all opinions brent doherty i mean do i would i i don't know like to me that just seems like 104.5 trying to paint a picture to where Carthon going with him over Vrabel is the right choice. Like that's so you think, what, you that think does, what that does zone, to me is some spin zone what? going on by the Titans beat writers is what you're saying. Yes. What that does, what that says to me is like in my, I, I, I think there's absolutely like uh, I, to me, the Malik Willis thing, there's Vrabel hated. I feel like Vrabel didn't like Malik Willis after the first year. I think it was a great value for when we got him because of the potential that we thought Willis had, and we didn't have to waste a first round pick on him. We could just get him with our, you know, I think we traded up into the third round to get him. I was, I was fine with that. He didn't work out like Robert. You've said before, you take a swing at a quarterback each year and you see what happens. I don't, I feel like Tannehill would have been his guy. I guess this is when Tannehill got hurt and it was Willis instead of Levis. I don't know, but I, I get like, I, I guarantee yeah, ran Carthon for Levis. That makes sense. Ran Carthon wanting Zay flowers. Like, what? we're going to take him at 11. When did Zay flowers go? Like in the twenties? I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have 
wanted Zay Flowers that high. Zay Flowers would have been fun, but I still love the Skaronsky pick. I think this just deeper goes to this, the freaking 104.5 being a pawn for this organization and just being all ooey gooey Titans radio and their, you know, radio of the Titans, the, where the flagship station is, and they're just going to back up Amy Adams Strunk and this organization, just like the damn scheduled clipped up edited video that we saw from Amy Adams Strunk. That was just a political ploy. It, that, it just like, that just makes me, I like, I don't, I don't know if I can believe all that stuff. That's the thing. Like at this point, I just think that's trying to make Rand Carthon look better in this situation. And like Vrabel definitely had his swings and misses. I mean, Michael, you said you, the whole six years was a swing and miss, but I just, I don't like, I don't even know what to say to that because the whole one Oh four five thing I've, re- I've talked about it with friends. I think, you know, Paul Karski's mentioned it before Chad Withrow and Jonathan Hutton, not the biggest fans of them, but they've said it before when they left, like, they were in it. They were in 104.5 The Zone. So that just goes deeper to the organization, to me, I, me losing faith in the organization. And I just, yeah. But it, I, overall, if I'm going to believe that, yeah, it's pretty damning on Vrabel. But I still think Skronsky was the right pick at 11, and we can figure out tackle this year. And the Levis thing, I've been against it forever, and he obviously has shown some stuff, so I might eat my words there, but like – I don't know. I don't know if that really says that much to me. All right, yeah, Michael, I think what are your, what's your take on Brent Doherty's opinions and everything he was saying? Well, today? and some of that is just responding to, and that's not in one one quote. Those are just the the hot hot rumors that are going. So they have to do the due diligence if somebody calls in or somebody you know is feeding them. But I do agree across the board. All these people, Stillman, anybody that's a reporter, we don't we don't have any hard hitting reporters in Nashville. Nor do we have anybody that wanted to rock the boat. And I do think it was funny that in Rand's presser today it was Paul Koharski actually trying to stir the pot the most, mainly because it appears that he had gotten on the outs of the organization and now, you know, now he's just, he has nothing to lose inside of it. But yeah, I, do think, I do think a large part of it, I, I have to, I have to disagree with you on the Malik Willis thing. Malik Willis 100% was a variable boy. There is no reason you start the season with Malik Willis as your QB two, And then the game where Levis is finally going to get his shot, they went with the plan of splitting snaps between Malik Willis. And it wasn't until Mike Vrabel got booed by the entire crowd that Willis got pulled out and Levis was in. Yeah, it's fair. You don't make, fair. You don't make those moves if that's not your boy. So he literally fumbled it. The one play went in. So that's I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't have, you can't. The only more ridiculous thing I've seen is going into our game last year where they wanted to rotate left tackle. It was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're like, that's when you're admitting you, you're 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 either in over your head or you have way too much personal, uh, either preference towards a player or dedication towards them. I don't know what, whatever it is you want to call it. There's 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 too much going in there, and you're 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 outsmarting yourself. Um, so, all right, one more question on Vrabel and then we'll kind of move into the future here and talk about who we want to see, uh, what are some potential candidates, but, but real quick, if there was one personnel decision that if that personnel decision wasn't made, Vrabel is still our head coach. What is it? And I'll give you some options. We got AJ, the AJ Brown trade. If AJ Brown is still a Titan, is Vrabel still our head coach? Here's another one. 
if Taylor Lewan's career doesn't get blown up with knee injuries, concussions, and his desire to be a podcaster, all right, is Mike Vrabel still our head coach? The Julio Jones trade and the Bud Dupree uh, signing, signing, I'll put those two together. If we don't have $30 million in dead cap this year, is Vrabel still our head coach? And then there's plenty of others. You guys are well-versed in all the personnel moves over the year. If there was one personnel move that was different, what would it be that Mike Vrabel would still be our head coach? Michael, I'll let you go. None, but but I'll let you go. I'll first, let you, Michael. I'll let yeah. you go first, Michael. Um, I, I'm going to to pivot a little bit because I actually don't think it was a personnel move. I think if he would have chosen any offensive coordinator that was actually capable, other than Todd Downing, we'd have a Super Bowl. And there's no way Mike Brable's probably here for another ten years. That was gonna. I wanted you to go first because that was going to be my answer, and I was thinking that was your answer as well. 2021, we're saying, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think that coaching hire was so bungled, and he put a yes man in when he should have actually gone out and gotten somebody that could get the job done. And we we had the pieces. We had the roster, and that was that. Yeah, it was basically like... Uh, it, I, to me, it's kind of like the whole Shane Bowen hire from within to defensive coordinator thing. Like Arthur Smith leaves. All right, Todd Downing probably you know got enough from Arthur Smith that year, so he'd be a good offensive coordinator hire. All we got to do is run the ball with Derrick Henry, set up play action, throw it to AJ and now Julio, and we'll be set. Like how bad could Todd Downing be? Well, hold my beer. Watch this. That's what Tom Downing said while he's probably driving. That was not a fair <laughs> shot, but I still wanted to say it. It just was too good to not say that. Um, but I would say personnel, I, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, Todd Downing I'm was going to be my answer. but I'm of the opinion that if Taylor Lewan's career does not blow up and he's still one of the top five tackles in the NFL, like a Michael Roos or a Bruce Matthews, um, I think he's still our head coach because I think left tackle has been our single most disappointing I mean, position over the last six years. And on that point, I do think Andre Dillard is probably the single player that you can look to that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, uh, like well, going I think back like, him off of Dennis Daly, especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, Ryan Finnerty has been on record talking to me that if we do draft one of these left tackles, they are not allowed to wear seventy one because. We're just sick and tired of seeing our left tackle wear 71 and look awful. Um, but I would say personnel, like, I mean, it's yeah, like, obviously it's hard to not say AJ Brown as well, but I don't put that on Vrabel necessarily. Like I, that was, I mean, we've seen with the, the video that came out with him, you know, basically shaking his head in the draft room. Um, I don't think, you know, the whole AJ Brown to Traylon Burks thing looking like that's going to be a seamless transition just didn't happen. Heck, you could maybe even you could maybe say like uh someone like a as weird as this sounds but like a DeAndre Hopkins signing would be something that just showed how Vrabel was in the mindset of winning now and Carth almost kind of like rebuild mode. We don't have to spend that money on D-Hop. But I don't know. I'm just reaching right now. I think Michael's answer would be my answer like it's not necessarily personnel. It'd be Todd Downing and how bad of a hire that was right. at OC. Well, it is, it's very clear, though, that it has to be noted that the offensive line 
being the the sole ultimatum in the offseason and it being such a blunder that it's actually a worse and we actually gave up more sacks in less games than we did last season is such an issue that it it's got your quarterback hurt for a second year in a row who is going to be you know the, the future of the franchise so wait i have my answer i can't believe i didn't think of this until now okay it's the isaiah wilson draft pick Literally, if we pick oh, anyone else, if we pick anyone else, and I'm talking like if we picked – like I'm not kidding. If we picked a guy that was drafted in the sixth round as a first-rounder, I think Frank will like still here. We, we have been chasing that pick. Yeah, we have been. Since, like ever since. That led to Dylan Radins. That led to like whiffing on other – you know, just backup plans for Taylor Lewan. And I think – that pit, yeah, I think that's that's actually my answer. I can't believe I didn't think of that until now. Isaiah Wilson. I'd yeah, also submit uh, Caleb f- drafting a first round corner with a terrible back. Uh, in that, I thought about yeah, I thought <laughs> yeah. about Caleb Farley, but then I went earlier to Isaiah Wilson. So yeah, I mean, I mean, we talked about this last year. I think the, the COVID drafts clearly are were not great drafts. Um, I have little. I have little faith even now with the gift of hindsight in this year. I didn't think Dylan Radins was going to play a snap this year. The fact that he came back in nine months from an ACL tear and was starting football games is apps is medically miraculous to me. And the fact that he was basically our best offensive lineman over the last four games of the season tells me that there was a complete mishandling of evaluations and who could play what on the offensive line. And I think I touched into this on, on my virtual GM last year, but I I still don't even think our starting center this year, Aaron Brewer, was the best center on the team. I still think Corey Levin is a better center than yeah. Aaron Brewer. And Aaron Brewer turned out to be the worst, the lowest ranked pass blocking center in the entirety of the NFL. And it's not surprising to me. The guy's 280 pounds. I mean there's no way that you're going to have these elite athletes that are, you know, pushing 50 pounds on him that have more strength than him. You know, like it's, it's, it's so obvious from the outside looking in that it's frustrating to me that on the inside, nobody was, was looking at it clearly. All right, let's shift gears here a little bit. So uh, I'm going to set the stage. Supposedly we're aligned and we're, we're all collaborating now. We're all moving in the right direction, right? Carthon is has been given free reign apparently to make the hire he wants to hire um, to conduct the interviews. We have a potential franchise quarterback on a rookie deal for three more years. We've got what I think is a budding star running back. We have a franchise cornerstone D tackle under contract for three more years. Uh, and then we have some other veteran pieces here and there. What do you do if you're Rand Carthon? Who do you want to see come in, number one? And then, um, number two, what are, your, what are some of your moves as GM? What do you want, let's say, at pick number seven? What do you want in free agency? I mean, I know this is a long conversation we're going to have in the offseason, but just quick hitters. What do you want at head coach, and where do you want to see the team move this offseason? JG, you start. Yeah. Um, so I, I keep saying my number one, and I like, I don't care about what people say about, Oh, it's just going to lead to a power struggle again. This guy has done it in the NFL, throw the bag at Jim Harbaugh and get him from Michigan. 
Like I'm serious. I, I mean, you can't, Jim Harbaugh as a head coach, like he's similar to my frustration with firing Vrabel. I think Jim Harbaugh is a proven NFL coach that anyone would be lucky to have. So number one, Jim Harbaugh. Do I think that's going to even happen? Do I think that's slightly possible? No. So I'm not really even going to entertain that. I'm just saying for the record, Jim Harbaugh's my number one. Number two, we have to go offensive mind. Absolutely. That's what you've seen in the NFL these days. Um, you know, offensive guys like Mike McDaniel, well, obviously Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel got hired and went to the Dolphins, Kevin O'Connell to the Vikings. You've seen Zach Taylor, who I still think is masked because of Burrow, but he's an offensive guy. He's found success. Um, and Shane Steichen at the Colts. If we end up with a Shane Steichen type, that is like, that is the dream. And I think that that coach is Ben Johnson for the Lions. And I think that's, he's the, you know, the number one guy for a lot of people. I think everyone's going to request to interview him. He just like, he obviously is in a good situation at the Lions. They have a great O-line. They're like one of the best offensive lines in the, the league. Uh, they obviously hit with Jameer Gibbs. They hit with Sam Laporta. They hit with Dave Montgomery in the offseason. Amon Ross St. Brown a few years ago. They've got Jared Goff as their quarterback, and Ben Johnson is res- resurrecting Jared Goff's career. Like, I just think Ben Johnson's the kind of guy that you would want to see come in. I don't even think that's going to happen, though, because of this organization not willing to pay top dollar because I think there's going to be somewhere else that's going to want him. So realistically – Ties to Rand Carthon in the in San Francisco. Uh, C.J. Stroud has been great, so it may be a little you know masked a little bit, like I said with the Burrow and Zach Taylor thing. But Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator for the Texans, he is ultimately who I think will. That's my prediction for who I think gets the job is Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator for the Texans. But he's number three and, on your list, right? What'd you say? He's number three on your list. He would be number three on my list. He's the number one most realistic one to me, though. Um, there's guys, I mean, like offensive coordinator at the Bengals. It's going to be an offensive guy. I could keep saying names, but it's going to be an offensive guy. I think it needs to be an offensive guy. There was a betting favorite that I saw that Mike McDonald, the D coordinator from the Ravens, was the like the betting favorite. I don't know if that was updated or not. Like I would hate that. If we get another defensive guy, I'm not for that. The only reason I was fine with Mike Vrabel being a defensive guy is because I kind of saw him as just not even necessarily. I don't. I lump him into like a. He's similar to like a D'Amico Ryan's where he knows how to motivate his team. Like Dan Campbell, he knows how to motivate his team, get his get his team going, and respected and well coached team. I still stand by that too. I will stand by that for a while. Um, but yeah, and then. I think you got to go left tackle in the draft. If those two elite left tackles go, then maybe Roma Dunze or Malik Neighbors. You got to go left tackle or receiver, maybe trade down potentially. Um, but I mean, we've got a lot of things to discuss later. But I think to sum it up, offensive coordinator or offensive mind, someone who definitely has an offensive mind, like, and not just somewhat of a good offensive coordinator, like, knows the offense and can run that. And then I want to see Carthon be the lead. They were saying Amy Adams Strunk and Rand Carthon both said they'll answer once they hire their person, they'll give us the vision that they have. They have the vision right now, but he kept mentioning the vision that he's not going to share it yet. 
it just it was confusing to me. It didn't make sense. But I mean, I'm shrunk also said that when they hire the person, they're going to know if Carthon's the main guy or if the head coach is the main guy making all the decisions, which like to me, that kind of scares me a little bit. I think we should know already what's going to be the decision, but I think Carthon showed some good stuff with his offensive playmaking draft picks uh, in the first, you know, Skaronsky, Will Levis, Tajay Spears, Josh Wiley was fine. Jalen Duncan looked pretty bad at times, but he was thrown in there at left tackle. I think like you saw some good things from Rand Carthon running as a GM. He maybe uh, doesn't present himself as well. He's still figuring out on the fly how to be a GM. But I think at the end of the day, I like his decision-making enough to where maybe you get the offensive guy and you let Carthon take it. And the offensive guy, I mean, if, if Ben Johnson had a say in taking Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta, then maybe you do pair that with Rand Carthon. But I just think, like, you know, the Lions might be a good thing to look at with I don't necessarily want another Dan Campbell or Mike Vrabel type uh, unless it's a Jim Harbaugh, but I want an offensive guy. I don't know if I just went back on some of the things I said, but I just kind of rambled on there. But that's what I got. Michael, same question to you. Uh, the I want an offensive guy, although I actually think the model of a player coach who's a motivator that strictly sticks to motivating actually is a great – it's a great tool and a great asset, especially for recruiting talent. It's my Like a D'Amico Ryan's? Yeah, D'Amico Ryan's, Antonio Pierce. The, as a, well, keep going back to Mike Vrabel. The downfall of Mike Vrabel is his coaching hires and the fact that he's – I don't know if he's, if it's insecurity, but it, it sure does present itself as insecurity where nobody can challenge him in, in terms of that. But I do see – and Dan Campbell as well – of uh, these kind of meathead um, – and, and I, I, I hate even saying meathead because it's kind of derogatory, but um, – these guys that can actually get the motivation, they just need to stick out of the schematic side and really focus on time management, motivation, and overall culture. And I would be to- totally for that. My only f- my only nervousness with Jim Harbaugh would be uh, in the past, the, the, the reports that you heard with the 49ers of him not really being a you know, a, a great person to get along with. And then that actually probably transitions extremely well into the college game where you have to, you know, corral very young men. I'm a little bit nervous that he actually just would be another kind of grading person that eventually would, it would become too much, which is kind of how his tenure in the 49ers ended. It wasn't because he was losing. It was just because of his personality. That's my only worry with Jim Schwartz, my betting, or sorry, with Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh. But my betting favorite is Jim Schwartz um, to get a head coaching, um, get the head coaching job because he has a relationship with Amy, has a relationship with the franchise. Um, You know, now that we know the full story of how Jim Schwartz came back to the Titans in the timeline, and specifically that timeline completely lines up with the the 2021 Rams game where we saw Jim Schwartz kind of really have his impact in the defense that lines up exactly with the timeline that they had presented of his uh, now um, divulged thyroid illness that he was dealing with. He basically had to start the season on limited hours and it was finally that game was the first game where he was actually to get in on the game plan and kind of come with them. It's very clear to me that there's a number of things where it's a very easy sell uh, to the fan base 
it's safe because he has head coaching experience and has gone on and hopefully the head coaching, you know, he did have one good season in Detroit and then he had bad seasons. But after that, mainly surprisingly because of the offensive side of the ball um, with Megatron and Matt Stafford. So how does that happen? That's, that's a big red flag for Jen Schwartz, but basically what I would hope, hopefully if we went that route and went the safe route, I think that's our safe pick. And I would hope that he has learned from that to go out and probably target one of these younger offensive minds and give them full autonomy and say, all right, this is your offense now come for it. The only reason I go towards an offensive coach is because it's such a hot commodity. And we're already seeing in these coaching circles, the young, the young coach that w- that would make the most sense for us is Bobby Slowick, who is the offensive coordinator for the Texans. Um, but you look at this guy, he's 36 years old. Um, I mean, basically looks young. Like, and if you really look at his, he's a first year offensive coordinator with the Texans the year before that on the 49ers, he was the passing game coordinator, uh, under Kyle Shanahan. So he does have coordinating experience, but I mean, if you look back onto his resume in 2016, he was an analyst for PFF, uh, you know, like he doesn't even have a deep coaching background, but he is a bright young offensive mind. He brought along Brock Purdy in his rookie season. He brought along CJ Stroud in his rookie season. His resume already is stellar for being a two-year coordinator. I have no clue if a 36-year-old, you know, and I don't want to base off somebody's generalized looks, but he looks like a pipsqueak. (laughs) I have no idea if he can be a head coach. And that's something that would have to be the plans in the staff because, Going back to the whole players thing, I do think there is I do think there is value inside of that of having a players coach, but you have to be willing to have the people that are actually good at schematics, good at analytics, good at planning, actually do the planning and not micromanage and not step in. So I would say uh, if it is Jim Harbaugh, great. You swung and you you won the championship there. Just hopefully you win a Super Bowl in this window with Will Levis before it comes to its end. And I also think with Jim Harbaugh, he's no matter what, even though it's coming back to the NFL, I just have the I just have this gut feeling that he's always going to be looking over his shoulder for something better. And whatever that something better is, it's just not in Tennessee and it's not with this owner and it's not in this situation. But, you know, if it brings us a Super Bowl, then you know. That's I, I am as a when it comes to structuring an NFL team, when it comes to hiring an NFL coach, as a fan of the Tennessee Titans above all, all I want is a Super Bowl win. I don't care how we get there. I want to sell out. I want to go all in. And if it destroys us for the next 10 years after that, so be it. I just want the Super Bowl win. So my decisions and my opinions are rooted in that of just give me the win. Don't care what happens afterwards, can blow it all up. And that's why I was a J-Rob guy, because I admire the fact that he took a swung, that he took a massive swing. He missed. Sorry, you're fired. You now get go sit on a beach and get paid for five years. But I admire that he actually took the swing. And, he, you know, you, you, you only only hit the sh- only hit the shots you take. What is that? The old basketball yeah. And, yeah. Uh, basketball saying. So I want what I don't want for us to do is I don't want us to get marred in mediocrity and I don't want us to get complacent and now forever just be having eight and eight, nine and what, what I guess nine and eight. Um, yeah. Nine seasons. It's eight and eight no longer applies anymore in our in our schedule. But I will right. say this looking to next year. And analyzing what really happened this year. I think we can all agree this year was a disappointing year for the Titans, right? Yeah. All right. We were a six-win team season this year. Seven of our losses were one-score games. That means we are extremely close to being a 13-win team. 
So when somebody says to me, our roster is just not there and it's not good enough, it's like there's a part of me that's like, explain to me if in the rationale of all of this that Mike Vrabel gets the most out of his players, what you're saying the most out of these players is enough. So there's a disconnect to me of blaming it on the roster and then the roster's not good enough when time after time the selling point for Mike Vrabel is that the roster is good enough. They just need the motivation to uh, to, to make it happen. Basically what I'm saying is with all of these draft picks and a high draft pick and, you know, I don't know what it, where you actually are at with salary cap, 88 million or whatever. And we have an even easier schedule. I think we have one of the easiest schedules in the NFL next season. I, I think there it's, I almost guarantee, like I, I would put massive money down right now that we are 100% going to be a better team. We're going to have a better record regardless of who we hire. Wait, so who do, you, hire... who do you take at seven? So what? Who do you take at seven? Oh, I would take Wait, Joel. Jeff. Well, I, I only think one of the tackles is going to be available. So take whatever tackles there. But yeah, I think Fashano yeah. most likely will go before Alt. So it'll only be, it'll basically be Joe Alt or a receiver. And I think you, you go receiver. Or sorry, you go tackle. Uh, Joe Alt. And yeah. Receiver in round two. Uh, what, and so round what two, receiver do you want, Roma Dunze or Malik Neighbors? Well, if, if the tackles are gone and it comes down to getting a receiver and recency bias is going to kick in, but I would take Malik Neighbors because. Robert will know before the uh, before this national championship game, I was drooling over Penix, and I'm no longer drooling over Penix. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> he, I thought he played and, himself to like the fourth round. I, I mean, I I've never seen a I, poor kid. I mean, lost millions of dollars in one game. Yeah, I've never seen somebody's draft stocks fall from the potential top ten pick to you're not even a first rounder, and based on one game. But um. I, the receiver that I actually want over the combo that I would want was the left tackle high in round one. And now we want a receiver in round two and the receiver I would want would be Xavier worthy mm. a speed demon out of Texas. And he's basically the smaller model guy. Of, well, and, but he's the model of if the rumors are true that Carthon wanted in Zay flowers, he is basically yeah, that's true. Flowers. Yeah, so true. I, I think that's the, and I, I don't disagree with them. I think 100% we need a receiver that can actually make get separation. We actually need to be able to design plays that get receivers open. So, Do we have a second-round pick this year? We do. Yeah. We don't have a third-round pick. No third. Okay. So, and I'll say this real quick. We've mentioned it, but the window uh, of Will Levis, I mean, the most proven model for a championship team in this in this league is a rookie quarterback. Uh, an, an excellent rookie quarterback where you can put tons of good players around him. So, I mean, I think like the next head coach, quarterback. yeah, a, a, a good quarterback on a rookie deal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so if we can find a coach that can get the most out of Will Levis, that's my, that's my number one one. I don't care if he's a offensive guy, defensive guy, players coach. I just want the guy who's going to take Will Levis to the next level. That's my number one one in a head coach. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think we've had a great discussion here. Any closing thoughts uh, based on the last hour and six minutes? My, my, I just want to revisit my virtual GM, what our offensive line would have been. The last, last year on the episode, I said I wanted one of the left tackles who ever fell to us, and that was Broderick Jones. So that would have been our round one pick. And in round two, I said I wanted the uh, left guard because I wanted two rookies to start and we go through our lumps because I didn't think we were going to be good this year regardless. And the guy that I wanted, Andrew Voorhees, unfortunately, he tore his ACL during his combine. Um, 
So he actually fell to round seven, pick 229. I still think we should have taken him and known that he was just going to sit out for the year because he's a great talent. But the next available left guard would have been Osiris Torrance, who's actually by PFF the best left guard uh, as a rookie, actually the best guard as a rookie. Skaronsky is the fourth best guard as a rookie, according to PFF. Um, my offseason plan would have been to let Davis walk, but then upgrade him with the top available guard. So that would have given us Isaac Suamalu as our right guard. And then the right tackle, I still would have had MPF knowing that Raiden's eventually was going to come off the ACL. So we would have had a offensive line of Broderick Jones, Osiris Torrance, Corey Levin, Isaac Suamalu, MPF, and Raiden's. And then in the third round, I desperately wanted us to get an inline tight end, Darnell Washington, who has proven to be basically an offensive tackle. Offensive tackle, yeah. That was there Cyrus Torrance even possible, though? I think it was in the second round. Didn't the Bills take oh, him? But then I guess we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten well, Levis. No, no. Levis. In that scenario, we wouldn't have traded for Will Levis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we wouldn't um, have gotten yeah. Tajay Spears, but – the offensive yeah. line would probably have been a lot better. <laughs> I don't think you can we, argue that. We would, we would have uh, at least had a good foundation. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Michael, we look forward to having you on for your virtual GM uh, twenty of this year. What well, we can, we, we can, uh, Michael, run it back. We do have to have you on more. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we need to make this a recurring thing. I uh, know. I'll I'll join in with my hot takes. The more the more that I keep up with the rumors, and the more it looks into it. Surprisingly, all of these rumors that seem so far fetched, the more things that happen, it seems like they're actually true. Like it seems yeah. like the things yeah. that we're hearing that are sounds so preposterous are actually happening in closed doors. And so, whether that's our ownership being completely dysfunctional, or whether that was just going back to hiring Vrabel and the the ambiguity between J Rob and him and and everything just kind of led to this dysfunction. I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like there's constant soap operas happening in that building. Yeah. And well, wait, JT, Robert, uh, so real quick. Robert, I'll, I'll, are, are you, you're like it just neutral on the firing of Rabel? I, so I've, I've been a Rabel guy for a long time. Uh, Michael knows this. We've gone back and forth probably weekly for the last two years. Uh, I do have to admit Michael wore me down and, Especially halfway through this year, I kind of just submitted and said, "You know what? If we fire Vrabel, I've I'm not going to try to sit here and defend it. I I like Vrabel as a head coach. I still think he can be successful in the NFL. I don't think you can win 13 games in two years and keep your job. Um, and I'm I I can tell you from personal experience, I'm pretty." pretty bored with the current state of the Titans. Uh, at least I was this morning and I was from October, probably October 15th to, to this morning. I think it was the second Colts game. After that game, I was just uh, completely, or it might've been the first Colts game. Actually. Um, I was completely out week six. So that was the first Colts game, right? In Indianapolis. Um, after that game, I was, I was pretty done on the season and, you know, I'm just tired of, of uh, watching incompetent football, to be honest with you. And if that means we need to fire Mike Vrabel and get another head coach, then that's what it means. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, JG. I'm not buying a lot of the, uh, the, the organizational spin that we're seeing on Twitter and, uh, you know, from the beat writers and on the radio because we heard all of these same talking points when we fired J-Rob, like, we need to give Rabel control. It's J-Rob's fault. 
these are all the things J-Rob did wrong, and this is how Vrabel's going to fix it, and Carthon and him are going to work together, and look what Carthon did in the 49ers, and it's going to work seamlessly with Vrabel. And you know what? I'm, until, we're, until we have the coach and we can actually see some results on the field, I'm, I, am, I just want the Titans to, to, to be better. And so um, I'm not going to just – I'm not buying the, the, the organizational talking points – um, they've got to earn my trust back, right? I'm kind of like in the same boat as you, Junger. They got to earn my, my trust back, uh, but they lost it before firing Vrabel. That's what I will say. They lost my trust <laughs> halfway through the season, um, a third straight year of leading league in injuries. At at some point, it's no longer a data point; it's a trend, and that's got to get fixed. And hopefully, the next guy can do it. So, um, what? but as we I always guess. do with every every episode, uh, or Michael, you want to say one more thing? Well, the, the the last thought I was going to say is before today, I definitely have thoughts of if Rabel was back, there's no incentive for me to watch. And now I got to say Titans next year must watch television. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The soap opera continues. Um, all right. Well, John Garrett, as we always do, let's uh, we'll let you have the last word. Take us out. Uh, the, the host of the primetime Titans, the floor is yours. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what the organization does from here, but, um, hope y'all liked that. Uh, glad we could give you a, you know, pissed off mood and a, an elated mood with the Vrabel firing. Um, but yeah, we thank y'all for listening. I'm JG and I'm Robert, Robert. and Michael, I'm Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. We're, we're going to have you on again. We, I mean, we got to for sure. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a check-in to see, uh, <laughs> <laughs> throughout the season to yeah. see who's winning the battle there's gonna be we're gonna have a countdown into how quickly you uh are against the next head coach and see if it happens <laughs> <laughs> we we'll just we'll have a, a clock on that i think that we should do a check-in if the eagles lose and and it's clear that aj brown broke that team then i think we that deserves a, an episode check-in <laughs> absolutely that's fair that's fair all righty well um, we're uh, primetime Titans, and we thank y'all. Always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry.